Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the bunker. Folks, you know, as I record this, the January 6th, 7th hearing is unfolding. And so we will not know the outcome of that until later in the week in which I will share my thoughts. But as we go into this hearing, which is supposed to be defining the connection between the Trump administration and two known white supremacist organizations in this country, I can't help but wonder why the Department of Justice, why the FBI, why the CIA has yet to designate white supremacist organizations in this country as terrorist organizations. Now, we know by virtue of the law, and I use that in air quotes, that the only designations for terrorism have been from foreign, quote unquote, invaders, right? Or from foreign entities like ISIS, like Al-Qaeda. And since the beginning of the birth of this nation, there has always been white domestic terrorism. As a matter of fact, it's what this country was founded on. When you think about the nature of indigenous populations, the nature of the enslaved African population and the free Africans who would become enslaved, their idea of society has always been communal. It has always been about community and uplifting community and connection. And so when you know, the pilgrims, quote unquote, found themselves on the shores of this new land that they felt like they discovered because they didn't know anything about it, as opposed to how would one discover something where people were already living? They were met with open arms. They were met with curiosity. And I realized that that is the defining thing, the defining difference between Republicans and Democrats. And my friend Kurt Bardella will be joining the show later 
to talk about what he feels like is just a fundamentally different DNA makeup, political DNA makeup, as he says, between Republicans and Democrats. And I will go and provide what my thoughts are and what I've been mulling around for a while is that there is a fundamental disconnect, right? There is a fundamental difference. And that is of a ideological thinking that assumes that all people have the right to liberty and justice and equity and dignity and respect, and that there is a driving sense of curiosity, not judgment, but curiosity about how we expand in our thinking to embrace those that come outside of what has been spoon fed to us as traditional or as quote unquote norms. And I think that the problem with Republicans and their current iteration of their cultish behavior is the fact that they don't have curiosity. What they have is judgment. What they have is fear. What they have is anxiety. And for them, that results in and of itself into violence, into oppression. And I realized that as you look throughout history as your guide, and you see that there are these times of great inflection, it is because the people that have been marginalized recognize that they have power, recognize that they no longer want to conform to or follow in the steps that do not serve them, that they believe that they have power outside of what has been granted or what has been withheld. And for people who believe that their way is the only way, you exist as a threat to that ideal, a threat to their understanding, a threat to what they believe to be normal. And what do people do with threats? Well, they try and put them down. And that is what we are seeing right now. And what pisses me off, and in the conversation that I have with Kurt, what pisses me off is that Democrats within the Democratic establishment, and I'm talking about those that cut their teeth in politics in the 20th century, do not fundamentally understand that this is a existential threat to our society, to our way of life, is the ignorance, right? Or the feeling that because you have right and facts on your side, that eventually, oh, the people will come to their senses. And Kurt and I will talk about the fact that he brought up, you know, the issue that this administration was caught off guard with how rabid the right wing had become. And my pushback to that is how? How could you be caught off guard? Because Republicans have been showing you who the fuck they are for the last 12 years. At the beginning of the Obama administration, when the birth of the Tea Party was happening, we saw exactly what direction that this party was going to, but it made us feel good to say that that was the fringe. And because we didn't pay attention to it, because we didn't decide to stomp it out, in its infancy, it has grown into a monster that can no longer be controlled, not by those who have been uplifted by it, like the Republican establishment, and not by those that have choose to ignore it, like the Democratic establishment. And so here the fuck we are. And the thing with me is that if you continue to ignore this threat, if you do not name this threat, then how do you devise a plan to take it down? You don't. And you simply continue to spin your wheels doing things the way that you have always done and assume that something is going to change. And friends, that is actually the definition of insanity. And frankly, I do feel fucking crazy, as I know many of you do, because you tell me on a regular basis, why isn't he doing more? Why isn't Biden doing more? Why isn't this administration fighting? And it's because they are so stuck in their 20th century ways and so stuck in the way that they think that, you know, if we just assume 
this normal political stance, then everything will fall back into place. Well, it's fucking not. It's been 18 months since the insurrection, and we are still holding hearings and trying to get our arms around all the ways in which the Trump administration, enabled by the Republican Party, is seeking to overthrow our democracy and using white domestic terrorist organizations to do so. Like, this isn't something that is just cocktail party fodder inside the beltway. This is a fucking real existential threat to our way of existing. And they are showing you in places like Florida and Texas and Alabama and Mississippi all the ways in which they are going to exercise their will, their Christian fundamentalist white supremacist will on this nation once they are able to put the gavels back in their hands. They are not going to bang them on a desk. They are going to pound into marginalized and outsized communities that they feel like are a threat to their way of life. And so if we have a democratic establishment that is not, has the inability or frankly lack of desire to wrap their minds around that truth, how the fuck do we plan on fighting? You know, so Kurt and I will have a series of conversations about, you know, the fact that it is not too late, right? It is never too late. Right. To turn the beat around, to fucking like get in line, to wake up. That is the beauty of being gifted with a new day is that in each and every new day, you have an opportunity to act different than the day before. But this administration seems to think that everything is going just fucking fine. Because you added some jobs and are able to somehow stop the bleeding as it pertains to gas prices, that's so people are going to turn around and say, oh, that's the party I want to be with. Do you know how many people are waking up in this country from a cold sweat, just in fear, riddled with depression and anxiety and tiredness and distractedness and all of those things? And this administration is not offering a reprieve. They're not offering an oasis. And so for those of us who choose to bring attention to what can be done better. All of a sudden, we're the ones that need to be crucified. And I find that to be absolute bullshit. You don't win by pretending that you have the best strategy when clearly it's not fucking working. And that's the only thing that I want to message out to people. I am never telling people not to vote. What I am saying is that voting alone in this climate isn't going to be the end all be all that we thought that it was going to be. We thought that when we voted in 2020 and we changed administrations that we were going to be on an upswing, but apparently we did not understand how far down the Trump administration and Republicans had pulled us into the fucking muck. So now that we are here, and I don't even think that we have gotten to the bottom of the bottom, so the upswing that we are all hoping and praying for, I think is fucking decades into the future. I hate to break it to you, right? We actually may never see an upswing in our lifetime, given the mechanics of the Supreme Court and the lack of will to do any type of thinking, even threatening the expansion thereof. So when we wrap our minds around this, we have to understand that it is going to be the young people, those that are under the age of 35, those that are under the age of 30, those that are generation Z that are going to be the ones to make a shift, right? But we need to listen to them in order for that to happen. And right now, the Democratic establishment isn't listening to its stars. They aren't listening to and uplifting right? Those people that are more in touch with and tapped into how people communicate and how people get excited, right? 
about getting out there and doing the right thing. And sometimes fear, friends, is a motivator. We know that because that's the only thing that the right ever uses. So when are we going to start using all of the tools that we have in our toolbox, expressly the stars that we have in order to get our message out? So coming up next, my conversation with our good friend, Kurt Bardella. Get a behind-the-scenes look at Comedy Central's The Daily Show on Beyond the Scenes, an original podcast from The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Every week, host Roy Wood Jr. goes deeper with the notable guests and experts from the Emmy Award-winning series. Together, they use comedy to tackle current topics from gentrification to gun laws and take a closer look at how and why these topics matter. Listen to Beyond the Scenes from The Daily Show with Trevor Noah on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Tuesday. It's no secret that the news is horse pill hard to swallow. Thankfully, there's the Vituation Room podcast hosted by comedian and commentator Francesca Friorentini for a lighter take on the heavy stuff. Each week, the Vituation Room brings you progressive comedians, experts, and activists to break down the issues in a way that won't just leave you crying under a weighted blanket. Get the Vituation Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and streaming on YouTube and Twitch. Folks, whenever I have the opportunity to be joined by our friend, Kurt Bardella, who is a messenger spokesperson for the DNC, the DCCC, he is also a writer for a myriad of outlets, including the LA Times and USA Today. And if you are a country music fan, he is also prevalent in that world as well. A man of many talents. (laughs) Kurt Bardella, um, there are new poll numbers that are out that put... Biden's approval rating somewhere between a toilet and a sewer. Um, It is roughly at around 33%, which if I'm not mistaken, is lower than Donald Trump's approval rating ever was, which is shocking. Um, But I I first want to get your reaction to these latest numbers. The fact that 94% of young people, people under the age of 35, um, do not want Joe Biden to run in 2024. He is not their candidate. That uh, when we are looking at satisfaction and whether or not this country is on the right track, uh, that number two is in the toilet. Um, and we have roughly 119 or 18 days until midterm elections. So I want to first get your opinion. And I, I say oftentimes on woke AF, I am not beholden to polls, right? I I really am not because the polls told me that I should have had a different president in 2016. The polls told me that we should have a six to three court in our favor right now. And none of that came to pass. And so I, I take things with a grain of salt, but I do recognize that there are warnings signs. So how did that new New York Times uh, Siena poll land with you? Well, you know, the first thing, the number that I would be most interested in, and I noticed it was a number that was not asked. Uh, do you think Joe Biden should run if Donald Trump is Republican nominee? That would be an mm-hmm. interesting question to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a- as we have seen, Donald Trump lost to Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Biden got the most votes in the history of any presidential candidate ever. Uh, and and I, I don't think we can discount that. Uh, I'll also point out that in every hypothetical matchup uh, with, with Donald Trump and, and, and Joe Biden, and even Donald Trump and Kamala Harris, Donald Trump loses. Um, you know, so you know, polls, it's such an interesting thing. You got to think about the person that gets this phone call from a pollster 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and you are asked a question that up until that exact second, you probably were not thinking about one way or the other. Um, there's something almost unnatural about how polling works. And I think that explains why so often, frankly, they've been off the mark uh, and have misled and misguided all of us uh, at various points in time. Uh, it's very clear the president, uh, President Biden, has challenges. It's very clear he, he inherited the most challenging environment, I would argue, in the history of our yep. country. Uh, a, a pandemic and an economic crisis at the same time, not to mention cleaning up the messes that Donald Trump left behind across the entire foreign policy spectrum. Uh, it has not been an easy path. And it seems like every time he gains a little bit of ground, something else happens. And it's like one step forward, a few steps back. And that, that, that's really frustrating. And the American people are frustrated. Uh, you know, I think my, my takeaway with polls is always, you know, I don't care what the exact number is. It's just an indication of a trend of where they are emotionally at any point in time. American people are frustrated. They're tired. They're exhausted. So much of that is because of the four years of Donald Trump, I would make that case. Um, you know, and it, it's likely not getting any better as things have gotten even more divisive in this country because the Republican Party has lurched towards the extreme, embraced violent white nationalism, uh, and is imposing an extreme minority view on the rest of us. And I think those of us who voted for Joe Biden, who voted for a different path, are going, how the hell is this happening right yep. now? Mm-hmm. While we, in theory, have the reins of power, yet somehow we're losing things. Things are being taken away from us left and right. It's it's maddening. It's frustrating. But I'll tell you, for all those people who are under 30 particularly, uh, and, and, and there's an irony that those same people who say Joe Biden may be too old to run for president were also the, the, the heart and soul of the Bernie Sanders movement, uh, who's not a young spring chicken, I might point out. Um <laughs> <laughs> just say that there's a little bit of, you know, it doesn't quite add up to me sometimes. Uh, you know, I tell everybody the most single most important poll is the one that's conducted on election day. And for people under 30, particularly who do not show up in elections, who who still underperform in elections, if you want to change the way things are done, if you want to change our politics, change politicians, you got to show up and vote. That's barrier number one, because most politicians, when they hear under 30, they roll their eyes because they go, well, they don't vote anyway. So what do they, what do they, what do they matter? You know, I, I think you bring up uh, several good points and, and, and you have been doing, let me just commend you as I do in private in public again, such an, a great job on uh, using, utilizing all of your platforms to, you know, to pound this, this, this message in. I, I, I want to say that this administration did inherit multiple compounded crises my problem, however, is the fact that they don't continue to talk about that the that fact that they inherited a series of compounded crises that have only uh, gotten worse over the last uh, the last year and a half, the last eighteen months. Right? I, I I date things from the day of the insurrection until now. So we're we're looking at the last 18 months of how quickly things have devolved. But my problem, Kurt, is the fact that this administration does not connect the dots to the American people to remind, like, you shouldn't have to be reminded. It should just continually be pounded into your psyche that you are here in this space trying to put gas in your car and food on your table and medicine in your cabinets because of the decisions that were made in the Trump administration and because of the Republican Party that continues to vote against your best interests. So the question that I ask is, you know, as a person who is a messenger, why do they 
move away from a very clear message that is about defining for the American people why you are in this situation. You know, I think the trap that the Biden White House kind of stepped into was the desire to want to turn the page on COVID because people were so frustrated. They were they were over uh, isolation. They were over uh, you know some of them remote working. Uh, so they were over wearing masks and uh, vaccinations and all that. And some people, a large, uh, alarmingly large number of them, didn't want to do anything to protect anybody's health in America. Uh, can't forget those those great people. Uh, I think that they wanted to just turn the page and, you know, I, I equate it to that George W. Bush mission accomplished moment, uh, you know, back in the 2000s. And I think that going into it, they thought the administration that this would be that, that they would be able to get vaccines out, shots in arms, and then we would be able to get back to quote unquote normal. Uh, and, and people would be happy and excited about that. And, and, and of course, that, that's not really how it played out. Uh, not even uh, remotely. Not even remotely. And I think that they underestimated the the real venom of the right uh, and, and how they weaponized things like vaccines, how they weaponized uh, you know, this ridiculous notion that it's somehow government intrusiveness to promote a vaccine that will save lives. Uh, and, and, you know, we heard at the time, you know, uh, you know, it's my choice, my body, the irony there, of course, uh, as things would play out later on, but they turned it into this whole, uh, you know, attack on schools and teachers. Uh, you know, that is where cr- the, the myth of critical race theory was born, was born mm-hmm. from that period of time. Uh, and, and I think that the, the administration wasn't prepared for that type of just dishonesty, um, I think a lot of people thought going into it that, especially after January 6th, remember, this was a point in time where even Republicans were saying, oh, that went too far. This is terrible. We need to move. Like, that was not good. In the immediate aftermath of January 6th, Kevin McCarthy was out there saying this was ridiculous. Uh, I think that they thought, well, Donald Trump's now been disposed of. He's lost. Uh, we just went through this January 6th episode. People, Republicans are, are, are wanting to go back to normal. I think they really, in their heart, believe that on some level. And, and that's why they were so, I think, blindsided uh, when it turned out the Republican Party, uh, they didn't need Donald Trump anymore because they had fully embraced and embodied the very worst elements of what he brought to the political conversation. Uh, and there was no going back for them, and they weren't going to try to go back to quote-unquote normal. This was their identity going forward. and had really nothing to do with Donald Trump anymore. But let me push you on this part because – You know, we say that the administration was caught off guard. And my pushback is how? Because Joe Biden spent eight years in the Obama administration as vice president of the United States when that very same party was at the beginning stages of their uh, of of their cultish behavior when they said that that president was not a citizen of these United States, when they lied about him being a Muslim, when you had Mitch McConnell come to the forefront and say, we're going to make him a single term president. Uh, you also had Mitch McConnell stealing uh, the Supreme Court seat, which has us in the position that we're in. So how is it that Joe Biden sat literally shoulder to shoulder with Barack Obama as this Republican Party began its initial morphing into the radical right 
white domestic terrorist cult that it has become and say to himself, oh, but I can do better. And I, and I ask this, I say this because to say that folks are caught off guard, it's the same way to say, oh my God, they were caught off guard that Roe v. Wade was turned back. Really? Because Republicans have been organizing in plain sight for 50 years saying that this was their holy grail. So to say that they are caught off guard is to is for me to alert me to the fact that you haven't been paying attention. And I mean, you as in the administration haven't been paying attention, even if ignore the last 50 years and say, Alito and the leaked draft opinion gave you a two month head start to create a strategy to figure out whether or not you could issue a public emergency, health Mm -hmm. emergency based around abortion and to do all of these things. So what is it that you think, honestly, had this administration caught off guard because a- as far as I can see, they were all conscious during the last uh, eight to 12 years. You know, I think to myself, I, you know, I go back to the Obama administration years when, when I was on the other side of this, I was mm-hmm. a Republican uh, and, and I would make the case that more often than not, we got the better of the Obama administration in our, mm-hmm. in our battles and fights. Uh, and I remember thinking to myself back then, it's like, how are we winning? I, I would I would be in meetings with my fellow Republican colleagues at the time. And like, how is it that we're, we shouldn't be winning these fights right now? Um, and, and now that I'm on the Democrat side uh, and, and I get to interface a lot with, with Democrat advisors and staff and, and members, I swear to God, Danielle, there, there is just a DNA difference, I think, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. from a political operative standpoint, Yep, how they view the world. Uh, you know, Democrats, God bless them and God love them. And I'm proud to be one of them. Let me say that very clearly. I'm proud to be a Democrat and a member of this party. But they are, are they are such true believers uh, that it's almost as if their the self-righteousness mm. mm-hmm. precludes them from seeing the forest through the trees. They genuinely believe they are right. And that should win the day. They believe <laughs> the, uh, that, that, you know, uh, yep. they, they, they can't understand why they're not winning when, well, but, but we're right. Like, and we tell everybody we're right all the time. And, and as it turns out, people don't really like that about Democrats, frankly. Uh, it's a major turnoff. I mean, any conversation you have with anybody, if you start it with, listen, I'm right, you're wrong. Let me tell you why. See the light and, and, and all will be good. People are going to smack you in the face. Go, what are you talking about? Um, Republicans don't really operate that way. Uh, It's just a very, very different, again, at a a molecular DNA level. And I think that is the real blind spot for Democrats at times, tactically, and in these fights that we have. uh, I can't tell you how many times, Daniel, I've been in meetings where like, but but they're lying. As if that's like a revelation. It's like, of course they're lying. Of course the Republicans are lying. That's what they do. They're in entire strategy is built on lying to the American people. How do you not get that by now? I say the same thing you do, but every time it's like Charlie Brown, Lucy and the football, they, 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 they cannot believe that Republicans lying that they get away with it. And it frustrates them to no end. And I mean, that's why I think it's important for Democrats as a party for, and I don't mean this in a self-aggrandizing way, but to listen to different voices, listen to yes. people like me, who came from a very different part yep. of the political conversation. Listen to people like our dear friend, Ellie Mistal, mm-hmm. uh, who I think if I were the president of the United States, I'd hire Ellie right now uh, and, and just let him go to work. You know, uh, People like Jason Johnson and Tiffany Cross and you and me and, and Wajahad, you know, 
I've, I've noticed that our conversations that we have amongst yep. ourselves is so very, very different than what I get from the operational side of the Democratic Party. Uh, and I think that there's that kind of group think DC beltway insider uh, loop that they just kind of all have had for so long. You look at anybody who serves right now in this administration, they've been with Biden forever. I yeah. Mean, and, and I forever. think and, to, and to your point, I, I genuinely believe that that is part of the problem. But what I'm also seeing and what I was faced with last week is, you know, I, all of a sudden I'm the one to be at fault for pointing out all of the things that are not going in our direction, right? Like all of a sudden now it's not the actual inaction of the democratic party. Apparently it is tweeting about the inaction of the democratic party that is going to upend our midterm elections and the entirety of the Biden administration, which I think is absolute bullshit. And so, you know, I'm like, how is it that we are able to critique, not in the way that I'm saying, I'm saying there is still fucking time. But there is only time if you decide to wake up today and recognize that, yeah, just saying that you own the truth or that facts are on your side is not going to be the winning thing. And I think to go back to the polls, frankly, is that, yeah, the matchup is with Trump. But I guarantee you that, like, Trump ain't going to be the nominee. It is going to be Ron DeSantis and a 80-year-old Joe Biden up against a 50 or 40 something year old Ron DeSantis, who is smarter than Donald Trump and a lot more cunning than Mm -hmm. Donald Trump and is showing the Republican Party based on the things that he is doing in the state of Florida, what he what he can do nationally. I don't think that Joe Biden stands a chance, not this configuration of the Biden administration. And so I'm like, how do we how do we reconcile that reality and how do they step into that reality. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'll tell you, I think some of the things that make me feel optimistic about the Democratic Party going forward outside of this election cycle, but into 2024, so I look at people that have emerged, like uh, the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, uh, the state senator in Michigan, uh, Mallory McMorrow, who I think is mm-hmm. incredibly impressive. I look at even people like Pete Buttigieg and what he did this past weekend on Fox News Sunday. Uh, you know, completely, or one of the Fox shows and dismantling them uh, as, as he does very effectively. It's like, you know, we got, we got some talent uh, in, in our bench. And I, I do think in, in a much bigger picture, there is a generational shift that does need to happen in the Democratic Party. You know, I think to Absolutely. myself, uh, you know, I came here in 2006 uh, to Capitol Hill. And at that time, the top three leaders in the House Representatives for the Democratic Party were Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer and Jim Clyburn. Hmm. It's 2022. Mm-hmm. And we who are have they? The exact same people. Uh, and this, and, and let me be very clear. This isn't a knock on any one of them individually, or what their accomplishments, what what their what their entire career of public service, which has been extraordinary, has meant to our country, to our party. Uh, I, I, you know, up and down. Everyone will tell you Nancy Pelosi is the most effective Democratic leader in Congress we've ever had. Jim Clyburn is obviously been uh, an incredibly meaningful uh, uh, and historical figure. No but doubt who about have it. They been, but who have they brought in, to your point, under their wings, right, to grow the next generation, the next generations of Democratic leaders up? Exactly. Like, this is, this is say, the same thing that happened in the Obama years. Right. I always say the greatest 
endorsement of a leader's legacy is who comes after him. And if that leader did uh, such a good job uh, that, you know, that, that they also groomed the next generation to carry for that legacy. Democrats have not been good at that, from my observation over the years. Uh, say what you want about this Republican Party. Let me tell you something. When the battles with the Obama administration were going on, the people who were at the forefront of that fight, it was Jim Jordan, Mark Meadows, Mike Pompeo, the, these people who have become, 10 years later, some of the most visible, influential, powerful figures in the Republican Party. And those were the young guys back then. You know, This is 10, 12 years ago. Conversely, on our side, uh, I do see people that have a lot of talent. I see people like Ruben Gallego. I see people like Eric Swalwell, like Ted Lieu, like Castro in Texas, yep, and his twin yep. brother as well. Uh, you know, I see people like AOC and, and, and Congresswoman Tlaib. There are a, a, an incredible amount of people under the age of 40 yep. who, who, are, who are dynamic. They understand the modern world. They understand communications. They understand messaging. They understand politics. They understand the enemy that we are up against today. Um, and, and so that gives me... That gives me some semblance of hope that that going forward, we'll have an opportunity to get some new blood in. I do think that if Republicans win in 2022, uh, we're going to need to have a massive widespread change in, in our entire party apparatus. Uh, I think if we are able to hold on and, 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 and defy expectations and defy history and preserve our majority, and I do think we have a really good shot in the Senate. Let me be very clear. I think that we're going to we're going to we could even grow the Senate, frankly, when I look at the lunatics like Herschel Walker and Mehmet Oz. Oh, my are, God. And Eric Greetings that are running right now. Like they're giving Herschel us the Walker. Wow. wow. Uh, but I think in the House, uh, you know, we're going to need to change some things up. Um, last question for you, Kurt, is do you think that while I agree with you, I wholeheartedly agree with you, do you think the Democratic establishment is ready to relinquish their power to the younger set that is ready for the 21st century battle as opposed to the 20th century one that they all cut their teeth in? You know, whether they're ready or not, they're going to have to live with it because of, because because our generation, we're coming. And, and, and we are no longer satisfied with just sitting on the sidelines or being told to wait our turn. We're done with that. Uh, I really think that there's going to be a massive change that's going to happen within the Democratic Party. Uh, and it's going to be people you know, like all the folks that we've talked about here uh, that's going to lead that. And, and we're, we're just not going to be quiet anymore. Uh, you know, I think that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting yep. different results. Uh, and I think that also applies to, to leadership. If we keep putting the same people in leadership positions, if we keep starting the same quarterback over and over and over again, and we still don't win a championship, it's time to make a change. Absolutely. Kurt Bardella, always love when I have the opportunity to chat with you, my friend, and appreciate, again, all of the work that you continue to do to ring the alarm, or as I like to say, get people as woke as fuck as possible. <laughs> um, we appreciate you. Thanks, Danielle. That is it for me today, dear friends on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Woke. 
Get a behind-the-scenes look at Comedy Central's The Daily Show on Beyond the Scenes, an original podcast from The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Every week, host Roy Wood Jr. goes deeper with the notable guests and experts from the Emmy Award-winning series. Together, they use comedy to tackle current topics from gentrification to gun laws and take a closer look at how and why these topics matter. Listen to Beyond the Scenes from The Daily Show with Trevor Noah on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Tuesday. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart. And I'm very forgiving, but like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one.